just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Thursday. Plenty of things to talk about. It's been a very busy week from the weather all the way down to politics. And we'll be getting to all of that. But I have to be upfront with you. I am fucking tired right now. Tired like I've never been before. Now, you know, normally I uh, record these podcasts like midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. We're like at about 1230 right now on Thursday morning. So that's nothing new. And you're probably saying to yourself, look, Mike, you do a few TikToks, you record a podcast. How fucking tired can you get? Well, I'll tell you, and it doesn't take much to get an old man like me tired. Now, I did have to get up a little early today because I had a uh, doctor's appointment to check on my eye for the cataract surgery I had. And I will tell you this, they told me it was pretty amazing how quickly that's healed and how well it's going as far as what I can see with that eye. So I'm thinking I'm like an inch or two just off a fucking superhero. So I'm happy with that. But even getting up early isn't going to make me this tired. There was something else. And it happens to be one of my favorite things, but it wore me the fuck out. I went to my grandson's soccer game. Now, under normal conditions, standing on the sidelines or sitting in a chair watching my grandson play soccer wouldn't be all that tiring. But that's not how it works in my world. I also have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter who happens to be the sister to my grandson, and she is a fucking whirlwind. This girl does not stop moving, she does not stop talking, and I end up chasing her everywhere. I don't get a lot of cardio during the week, but when I see her, damn, I know how badly I'm out of shape because while I did do a lot of running around and chasing her and such, uh, it wasn't that crazy. I shouldn't be this tired over that. So clearly I need to get some more exercise, get some more cardio so that I can be in shape. I mean, because she's two and a half years old now. What happens when she's five and she's out running me? I mean, she's got 11-inch inseams, so she, she's she got that going against her with me. I've got a little bigger inseam so I can catch up to her. But once she gets closer with some longer legs, that girl's going to be hard to catch, and she she doesn't stop for anything. She'll run over to any dog, any person. She'll run across anywhere. She'll climb anything to its pinnacle. Scares the hell out of my wife and I, so... Uh, We kind of double-team her a lot just so we can keep control of her. But I got to tell you, after doing that, as much as I enjoyed it, I love seeing that little kid. She is just a little goofball. And uh, I think what I find more entertaining about it than anything is she's uh, got a personality like mine in the sense that she's really bold and always into everything which is totally the opposite of her parents. So this is going to drive her parents nuts. I think they go crazy just having me over for a visit. But if they've got a kid that's got my same personality, oh, they're in for fucking trouble. And I love it. I love that this kid is bold and fearless. 
I told my son, as much as this is hard to deal with when she's this age, just know this, her fearlessness and her boldness uh, is going to be the thing that makes her successful when she's older. Don't try to bridle that. Don't try to stop that. Let her be her. And uh, like I say, after running around with her for a couple hours, I am tired as a motherfucker. I, I got to start swimming. I got to start walking because I'm going to have to get in better shape if I want to keep up with her. And, of course, I want to see her anytime I fucking can. So I'm going to be doing that. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I probably will. My doctor says you should get some exercise. I go, well, I don't like to exercise. Now, when I was young, I used to run, play sports. I used to lift weights and all that stuff. But I was, you know, 15 to 30. I could do a lot more shit then. I don't want to do that now. I mean, when you're 15 to 30, you're trying to make yourself look good to the opposite sex. I'm 62. Dropping weight is the least of my problems if I want to be more attractive. I've got a lot of aesthetic issues. <laughs> I can't handle dealing with all those things, so I don't have the drive to get in shape. But, you know, if we're looking at uh, the difference between living and dying, I guess I could be coerced in doing some exercise. So anyway, my point of bringing that up is, as I'm doing this podcast, if it's different than you normally hear it, if it's a little slower or I start dragging, or if I fall asleep in the middle of this goddamn podcast... You know what's up. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just wore the fuck out. All right, we got a lot of stuff going on. We've got this hurricane down in Florida, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But here's something I found very funny as I was going through some of the websites and the, and the uh, news stories and such. As much as we have some big shit happening, especially with the hurricane, you turn on the TV and every 10 minutes... Every two minutes, there's another story about the hurricane. And it's justified. It's a tragic, terrible thing. And we're watching it very closely. I'm watching it because it's going to go through Florida and up the coast by Savannah. Uh, Of course, my place is about 25 miles in from the shore. I don't think it's going to be a problem. But, you know, what can you do? I'm in Minnesota. There's not much I can do. That's why you have insurance. So we'll see. But going through all these news sites with all this crazy shit going on, a hurricane, investigations, January 6th hearings, all this shit, what's the top news story I read in almost all of these websites? I give you, and I, I hate it when people say, guess, and then they just sit there and don't say anything. I'm not going to have you guess, but it threw me for a loop. The top story I was finding at this particular time when I was looking on the websites, rapper Coolio died on Wednesday in Los Angeles, according to reports he was 59 years old. Now, that's a little fucked up, given he's 59 and I'm 62. We are peers, and he passed away. The Grammy winner was found dead while he was in the bathroom at a friend's house, TMZ reported. And you know it's true if TMZ told you. According to the outlet, uh, the rapper whose legal name is artist Leon Ivy Jr. was visiting a friend late Wednesday afternoon and went to the bathroom. After staying inside for an extended period of time, the friend went inside and found him on the floor. Coolio's manager, Jarez Posey, 
confirmed the rapper's death to Rolling Stone, but did not provide further details. The friend reportedly called the EMTs who arrived and pronounced the musician dead on the scene from what they suspected was a cardiac arrest. An official cause of death has not been stated at this point. An LAPD spokesman said Wednesday evening, uh, Wednesday evening that they uh, found him on the floor. The musician was dead. An official cause of death has not been stated, but as as it sounds like, it sounds like it was a heart attack. The spokesman from the LAPD said Wednesday evening that the department was conducting a death investigation at an address in West Adams neighborhood near downtown Los Angeles, but could not disclose the identity of the deceased. But it's in every it's in every news outlet in the country. So it was uh, Coolio. The death did not appear suspicious, and the case was handed over to the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office. The spokesman said, Coolio, a Los Angeles area native, is best known for his 1995 Grammy winning hit Gangsters in Paradise or Gangsters Paradise, which topped the U.S. charts that year and remains one of the best-selling singles of all time. Now, when I immediately heard that, I was talking to my wife, and she goes, oh, my God, Coolio died. I said, you know what's ironic? He died 30-plus years after his career died, because what has Coolio been doing lately? And, of course, she looked at me and says, you're going to hell for that. That's mean. I go, I don't know fucking Coolio. You know, at the time, I was 35 years old when Gangster's Paradise came out. I didn't really like the song. Because I was too old for the song at the time. Little did I know, he was only three years younger than me. I could have done a rap song in 95. No, I couldn't. I don't have any musical ability. Anyway, I don't mean to diminish Coolio's fame, but it just seems strange that that would be the top story when we have all this tragic and uh, crazy stuff going on in this country. Uh, you know, I could see if it was somebody really, really famous, you know, like when Elvis died. Elvis died. That took precedence over anything. But Coolio, he only had a couple of hits, and he was good, and he had a big-time selling song and all that stuff. But that's really the top story? I'm sure that's changed now if you're going to check my work on this. But but for a moment when it first came out, the world was abuzz with the death of Coolio. And, you know, it's funny. It said in the Wikipedia thing that he lives in Compton. Now, he's not worth a ton of money because he only had a couple of hits. He's worth a couple million dollars. Uh, but he stayed in Compton. That's where he was from originally. Um, I've been in Compton. It was years and years ago. It was. Uh, it's a funny story. I'm just going to tell you this story uh, because it's kind of funny and it ties to Compton. In the 80s, I was representing a black artist, a black singer, musician, okay? And we had some meetings with record companies in Los Angeles. So my brother and I and this artist flew to Los Angeles, rented a car, and started driving to the to Sunset. We were staying at a hotel on Sunset. I think it was the Hyatt at the time. And so we go to Los Angeles. Now, my brother and I had never been there before. Uh, the kid in the back, 
The musician had been there, but he ain't paying attention to fucking anything. So we're driving, and we take an exit, and no big deal. We're just driving street to street, trying to figure out where the fuck we are. And uh, the kid in the back, he's a black kid, black musician. He, at one time, was in the group The Time, but he was no longer. Then he was in Jesse Johnson's band, the Jesse Johnson Review. And now he was striking out on his own with us representing him. Anyway, we're driving down the highway. We get off the highway. We're on the side streets. My brother and I aren't thinking much of it at all. And then I hear the kid in the back go, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. We're in trouble now. I go, what, what, what's, what's the problem? What are you so upset about? He said, I'm just saying, I'm seeing a lot of black people around here. My brother and I aren't racist. We go, so what? So what? We don't have a problem with black people. He says, you don't fucking get it. You took the wrong exit. We are in Compton. And even still, I said, so the fuck what? I didn't know Compton from anything else. He said, this is not where we want to be. They are going to kill white people if they get you stopped. I go, come on, you're being a little ridiculous here. He goes, no, I'm fucking serious. I've been here. And I said, well, let me ask you this. Why are you worried about it? You're black. And he says, look, they're going to kill you because you're white. And they're going to kill me because I was with you white motherfuckers. (laughs) Well, needless to say, I don't know if any of that was true. I didn't feel any threat there. I didn't feel anybody was going to attack us, but this kid thought it was was a problem, so we drove through a few stoplights and got back onto the freeway as quickly as we could. I do have to say that while in Compton, I had no problems at all, none at all, not a one. Our passengers seemed to think we might, but I didn't have any problems in Compton. But Coolio who was from Compton, who made a few bucks, still lived in Compton. So I thought that was interesting. Anyway, Coolio, dead, 59, top story. Yeah, I don't think it's a top story. But if you're a Coolio fan, my condolences. Now, the real big story that's going on is, of course, Hurricane Ian. And Hurricane Ian pounded Florida after making landfall Wednesday afternoon, bringing life-threatening storm surges to the coast and extreme wind and rain that knocked out power for more than a million people and spurred evacuation orders for some 2.5 million people. It was a weird thing. You watch the, I watched some of the live cams in the area, and it was absolutely crazy. It looked devastating. There were winds of like 150 miles an hour. When it got up to 157, that would be a Cat 5. Um, But there were gusts that went up to 190 miles per hour. That is fucking crazy. Now, since it's hit land, as I understand it, it's it's lost some power. It's down maybe to a Cat 2 or Cat 3. But it's still devastating. And it's moving slowly, so uh, it's... it's, um, going to be stationary for a while and as long as it is stationary or slow it's going to do some significant damage and it's going to keep pounding on that area this particular hurricane is pretty immense 
I heard one news reporter talking about this hurricane, and they said the previous hurricane that came through this very same area, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago or whatever it was, maybe it was longer than that, they said that had comparable, if not higher, winds. But uh, it isn't even comparable to what Ian is. And the way she explained it is the hurricane from end to end was about uh, 10 miles. So it covered a wide swath as it went through uh, Florida. But here's the thing. Ian, Hurricane Ian, is from end to end 500 miles. It's far bigger. The winds are similar in speeds, but it's far wider. Now, as we understand it, it's going to go through Florida, Orlando, Melbourne, all that stuff, come out the right side, kind of go up the coast. And the way they're showing it, it's going to curve in by Savannah, actually. But here's the thing. By the time it does that, the winds will be diminished quite a bit. It'll still be damaging, and it'll still be a problem. But uh, this is a humongous hurricane. Ron DeSantis says this is going to be a nasty, nasty day. Two days, maybe. Uh, He said that on Wednesday, urging people in Ian's path along the Atlantic coast to rush to the safest possible shelters and stay there. DeSantis said Wednesday evening, the storm surges, which were forecasted to reach up to 18 feet, had likely peaked. But we know this has been a big storm and has done a lot of damage. We don't even know exactly how much damage there is. Uh, We'll start hearing more about that later today. What I found interesting, some people, as they were in the eye of the storm or prior to the storm, they saw the waters on the uh, beaches recede. I mean, uh, recede significantly. And you might think, well, that's a good thing. Well, no, it's not. It's going to recede, and then it's going to come rushing back with a fucking vengeance. And uh, I was seeing videos on TikTok and on TV where entire areas, residential areas, were flooded with about three, four feet of water. And, of course, that's getting in the house. It is an absolute mess. And I wish all the people down in Florida, regardless of their party of choice, the best. And please, please keep safe. The hurricane made landfall as an extremely dangerous Category 5 storm near Kaya Costa, Florida, according to the National Hurricane Center, and proceeded to sweep over the cities of Naples and Fort Myers, where images and videos showed scenes of devastation throughout the late afternoon and into the evening. Reports on cable news networks and on social media showed streets turned into rivers, trees knocked down by wind, and houses destroyed by the storm. It is absolutely devastating if you see it. Now, flash floods were possible all across Florida, with the storm expected to pound the Orlando area Thursday and then exit the state near Daytona Beach. Federal officials said Tuesday that the inland flooding was the biggest safety concerns. Ian, it's the strongest storm to hit Florida at least since Hurricane Michael in 2018 and will remain will rank among the top five storms to ever hit Florida Peninsula, according to DeSantis. Officials in southern Florida reported calls of residents who remained stuck in their homes as water levels were rising, 
We are getting a significant number of calls of people trapped by water in their homes. The Collier County Sheriff's Office wrote in a Facebook post. Now, here's the thing. The people who stayed back, if they're in trouble, they can't exactly call 911 because they can't get out and respond to these things. They have to wait till things settle down because they put themselves in serious danger by doing that. So at this point, all you can really do if you're in your house and there's water rising and such, you got to fend for yourself, and it's an unfortunate situation. you got to fend for yourself, and you got to try to do what you can to survive. And uh, Hurricane Ian isn't, uh, isn't making it easy at all. Now, more than a million Floridians have been left without power, according to power outages, which shows more than 10 counties with significant power outages. The worst of them is Lee County, where more than 300,000 residents are without power. And, of course, Lee County is down by Fort Myers. Um, they have taken a pretty incredible hit, and uh, we have to sit back and watch and see how that goes. As I said in a TikTok to those folks down in Florida, as dangerous and as tragic and as scary as this as all, all is, The one thing you can take comfort in, the comfort you can take is that in spite of the fact that you don't like Joe Biden, that you don't like the Democrats, that you're a red state who follows some crazy fuck by the name of Donald Trump, in spite of that, when it's all said and done, when it's over and you need help and you need assistance, you can count on Joe Biden and the Democrats to be there for you because they're not fucked up, do-nothing pieces of shit like the Republicans. It's not going to be like Puerto Rico where Donald Trump goes down and puts on a little song and dance and starts throwing paper towels into the crowd. No, the people of Florida will get real help, and they will get the help they need, and they should be able to thank uh, the Democrats for that uh, for that attention and that help. Let's move to Donald Trump. Donald Trump often asked oddly personal questions about staffers, apparently. Questions about their sexuality and made homophobic remarks about those he perceived might be gay, according to a no book. New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman's forthcoming book, Confidence Man, The Making of Donald Trump and the Breaking of America, reveals that Trump's obsession with appearing to be masculine drives his startling behavior, such as meeting early in his administration with Vice President Mike Pence and campaign aide Jason Miller, whom he declared certainly likes the ladies, according to expert published by the Daily Beast. You know how sometimes someone turns out to be gay later and you knew? Trump said, according to the book, this guy, he isn't even like 1% gay. (laughs) Why, Why is he even talking about this? This is just who Donald Trump is. He's an absolute fucking idiot. Trump was preoccupied with speculation about who in his orbit might be gay and often mocked Trump Organization executive Alan Marcus as queer and bragged that he paid the executive less. Haberman reported and former employees said he would show off photos of women with whom he claimed to have known intimately. 
They also recall Trump mocking gay men uh, or men who seemed weak with the words queer or the F word. I'm not even going to say it. That's a horrible word. And I'm not saying fuck. You know what I mean by when I say the F word. Haberman described one episode from a week before the second presidential debate in 2016 when then-advisor Rance Priebus asked Trump a hypothetical question from the point of view of a female transgender student about using the girls' restroom, prompting a response that prompted stunned silence. This is what Donald Trump said. He said, cocked or decocked? What does that even fucking mean? An unspecified individual broke the awkward silence by suggesting decocked, and Trump responded by making a chopping gesture. This guy is not only stupid and a criminal, but he is the most inappropriate man in the history of this fucking country. Um, He said to Haberman, with cock or without cock, he said, An advisor asked what difference that made, and Trump suggested that detail would determine how he answered the question. What if a girl was in the bathroom and someone came in, lifted up her skirt, and a schlong was hanging out, Trump said, according to the book. Oh, yeah, he's a classy motherfucker, isn't he? Uh, It's just absolutely appalling the shit he does and says. Oh, you grow so tired of this guy and listening to it. And it... It just hurts to imagine that there are people that will hear this and all the other things like grabbing women's genitalia, uh, making the anti-Semitic remarks, making the um, racist remarks about people of color, the brown people coming across the border. It It just amazes me that even the dumbest of the dumb can't pick up on that being bad and saying, you know, that's a little too far. Why don't you dial it back a little bit? But they don't. They hop on board and they're all in. And it's largely due to the fact because they are racist, they are misogynists, they are anti-Semites. And finally, they've got a leader who allows them to speak up, say the things they've always wanted to say. That's what I've always said about Donald Trump. Donald Trump didn't create more racism, anti-Semitism, and misogyny in this country. He just exposed what was already there. For years and years, these people have been tucked tightly under their rocks, not crazy enough to peek their head out and say some of this shit. But the moment Donald Trump becomes president, it's all clear, motherfuckers. I'm coming out. I'm saying my peace. And your peace is nothing but racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, violent, whatever you want to fucking call it. Now these people have come out and feel comfortable spewing their shit. And this is why I've always said, if we want to slow things down and at least start getting back to some semblance of normality, we need to shut Donald Trump up. We need to take him out of the conversation. And as I've said before, the only way we can do that is by indicting him. Now, some people are worried that that'll stir up some violence with his trump But um, while there might be some crazy guy here or there, the groups of people that talk like they're going to fight are not going to fight. They are bullies, but they are also cowards. And cowards 
know when not to walk into a situation, when they have any question in their mind that they're whether they can win or not, they don't even try. They're fucking cowards. And they know, as I've said in the past, they try to pull the same shit um, they did on January 6th. Now, they're going to run into a lot of heat. And there's going to be a lot of people who end up like Ashley Babbitt. They know this. And so they aren't they aren't even considering the prospect of starting some civil war, starting some kind of major attack. It's not going to happen. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. All right, here's kind of a fun, happy story, at least for some of us. On Wednesday, the Daily Beast reported that Perry Green, the husband of far-right representative Marjorie Taylor Green, has filed for divorce. Family Values Party, Marjorie Taylor Green, always talking to us about the family and what's right, what's wrong. She's getting fucking divorced. The petition stated that the Greens' 27-year marriage was irretrievably broken and indicated that the couple who wed in college had been separated for some time, reported A.J. McDougall. Perry Green motioned to have the divorce filed under seal, arguing the record will contain sensitive personal and financial information, the public disclosure of which would negatively impact the party's privacy interest. Here's my question. It took you 27 years to decide, yeah, I've had enough. This woman is fucking crazy. She's always been crazy. I know she's cheated on him a couple times. And if he wanted to set that aside, that's his business. But Jesus Christ, she's a horrible human being. And she's not the brightest woman in the world, in spite of the fact that she's somewhat educated. But Perry finally said, enough is a fuck enough. I want a divorce. Now, you have to wonder if there isn't something else, some other reason why he's doing this. I mean, if my wife was going to be exposed as an insurrectionist who's also sitting member of Congress, yeah, I don't think I'd want to be in the middle of that holding her hand and trying to support her when she's been a fucking traitor. I have a feeling he sees what's coming and he just wants to separate himself as much as he possibly can. The congresswoman provided a statement on the matter to the Daily Beast, which declined to reveal any further details of the divorce other than to suggest the marriage was ending amicably. (laughs) Has has Marjorie Taylor Greene been amicable, amicable with anybody? I don't think so. I mean, she, the fucking people in the Republican Party don't even like that bitch. She goes on to say, marriage is a wonderful thing, and I'm a firm believer in it, said the statement. Our society is formed by a husband and wife creating a family to nurture and protect. Together, Perry and I formed our fi- family and raised three great kids. He gave me the best job title you could ever earn, Mom. <laughs> 
I'll always be grateful for how great of a dad he is to our children. This is a private and personal matter, and I ask that the media respect our privacy at this time. Now, my question is, if uh, Pete Buttigieg or Amy Klobuchar or any other Democratic politicians, if they were in a similar situation, why is it in my mind that I would think that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene would be all over it, making up bullshit and lies, saying why the, the divorce is happening, but you just want to keep it quiet, right? You guys are breaking up amicably over 20, after 27 years, but you want to keep it quiet. Yeah, good luck with that, motherfucker. This shit's going to get out, and you've got bigger troubles than a divorce at this point. You've got potential jail time coming your way. Now, here's some other good news. Representative Benny Thompson announced on Wednesday that Virginia Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, is now scheduled to meet with the January 6th Select Committee this week. It's Thursday today, so that means today or tomorrow. Our expectation at this point is that we will talk to Ms. Thomas, and we have no indication to the contrary, Thompson, the chairman of the January 6th panel, told reporters. Pressed on if the interview will take place on Thursday or Friday, Thompson said, it's sometime this week. Again, to my knowledge, it's set, and we look forward to whenever that occurs, he added. So he's kind of hedging here. He's thinking maybe she won't show up, but I don't know that she has any choice. She knows her name is going to come out in the next hearing, and she's going to want to try to say something to try to uh, lighten that exposure or try to make them believe that what she was doing was completely honorable. She's feeling pressure right now. She knows she has to do something, so that's why she's agreed to talk. Now, will she plead the fifth on everything? I don't know. My guess is probably not. You know, when you're in a situation like this, uh, pleading the fifth doesn't help you. If you know you're going to be indicted, if you know you're going to be in trouble, what you want to do is try to sell an alternative story. And if you want to do that, you can't do that by pleading the fifth. So I have a feeling she's going to talk. I think she realizes what kind of bad shape she's in at this point and has little or any chance of getting out unscathed. So maybe she thinks she's smart enough to talk her way out of it. She's not. She's fucking nuts. But uh, maybe she thinks that with a little help from her Supreme Court Justice Husband, maybe she can talk her way through this. Don't count on it. I tell you what will happen is when they uh, interview Ginny Thomas, I can almost guarantee you when they reschedule that January 6th hearing, you know, they they, they postponed it for um, yesterday because of the hurricane. But when that's done, they'll reschedule it sometime in the next week or so. Uh, I'll guarantee you that there'll be some video of Ginny Thomas speaking. And it won't portray her very well. 
The interview with Thomas will cap a months-long effort to by the select committee to speak with the conservative activists who reportedly exchanged a lot of emails with John Eastman, the lawyer who drafted memos for the Trump campaign outlining, outlining how Vice President Mike Pence could keep then-President Trump in power. Now, he's, he's a lawyer, but he should have known that that is just not true. Maybe he thought that uh, he could bully his way through and throw some chaos into the mix and actually get it done. Well, unfortunately, John, you didn't. You fucked up. Thomas also reportedly texted then-White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows a lot and Arizona lawmakers regarding efforts to reverse the results of the 2020 presidential election. Thompson told reporters in June that the committee asked Thomas for an interview, and the conservative activist at the time said she was looking forward to speaking to the panel. But that changed very quickly. Later that month, Thomas's attorney, Mark Paoletta, wrote a letter to the committee saying he did not understand the need to speak to Ms. Thomas and requested a better justification for why her testimony was relevant to the committee. But nearly three months later, on September 21st, Paoletta confirmed that his client would meet with the January 6th committee. Again, why the quick switch? Well, she's fucking scared right now. She knows her name's going to come up, and if she isn't talking about it, there'll be text messages and other people talking about her. So she's got to do something. I guarantee you she's not happy about it, but she's got to do something. As she has said from the outset, Miss Thomas is eager to answer the committee's question to clear up any misconceptions about her work relating to the 2020 election, Paoletta said in a statement. She looks forward to the opportunity. Well, I bet she does. That's why she's tried to avoid it for the last three or four months. Thomas's conversation with the committee comes as the panel is racing the clock to finish its work before year's end, when the group will likely be dissolved if the Republicans take control of the House this November. But that's not going to happen, so fuck that. The panel was scheduled to hold a hearing, potentially the last one, before its final report is released on Wednesday, but the presentation got postponed because of Hurricane Ian, which made landfall in Florida today. We already talked about that. I always get a kick out of the media saying, this is the last scheduled hearing. Well, that's true, but that doesn't suggest that it's the last hearing. What will probably happen is we'll have this hearing. They may even schedule another hearing before we get to the next hearing, or in the next hearing, at the hearing, or just shortly after they'll announce another one. There's going to be more than one hearing in October. I'm convinced of that. They've got to make hay while the sun shines, and they need to shove this down people's throats up until the time of the midterms in November. Now, the committee members have not yet announced a new date for the hearing. Representative Zoe Lofgren, a member of the select committee, told CNN in an interview on Sunday that the panel is interviewing Thomas because of her own activities. It's not because of whose wife she is, and I'm hopeful that we will learn important elements from her testimony to us. And uh, you want to make sure that she's going to be a fucking target, because she will be a target. The text messages we've already seen prove she's fucking guilty. 
All right, former Trump administration official, Cash Patel. Now, this motherfucker is a piece of work. He is a uh, conspiracy theorist. He's fucking crazy, and he is a big-time Trump humper. Cash Patel has defended his use of a slogan used by QAnon followers who falsely believe cannibalistic pedophiles control the world events. Patel, who previously served as chief of staff to then-acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller, defended his use of the phrase, where we go one, we go all, during an appearance on a podcast hosted by QAnon protesters. Where we go one, we go all. That is absolutely a QAnon phrase. No one else uses it. It is all QAnon. The phrase is shortened by saying WWG1WGA is regularly used as a rallying cry by followers of the conspiracy theory. A conspiracy theorist that has never predicted one thing that came to pass. We've seen all these claims and these Q drops, but none, not one has been proven to be accurate. Now, many followers of the unfounded conspiracy theory believe Donald Trump secretly in a battle against a global cabal of satanic cannibalistic pedophiles made up of politicians, celebrities, and business leaders. QAnon followers have previously been involved in violent incidents, harassment campaigns, and killings after one supposed adherent shot his wife and one of his daughters in Wald Lake, Michigan on September 11th. Speaking with QAnon podcast host Jeffrey Peterson on Tuesday, September 27th, Patel claimed that there was nothing wrong with using the slogan and said he had picked it up from a movie, possibly 1996 White Squall, in which the phrase is seen on the ship's bell. Yeah, you got it from a from a 30-year-old movie, I'll bet. And that's why every QAnon dumb fuck is using that phrase. He said, they, the critics, don't get to define what we mean when we say something. Where we go one, we go all is, as you said, from a great movie that I watched a long time ago and people took to it. Yeah, not a great movie. And you're a dumb fuck. And so what? It doesn't mean everyone is a conspiracy theorist and people keep asking me about this Q stuff. What does it matter? What I'm telling you is that there's a truth in a lot of things that many people say, and what I'm putting out there is the truth. No, sorry, you're not. He continued, and why don't we have some fun along the way? Why, sure, what's more fun than insurrection? There's so many people who subscribe to the where we go one, we go all mantra, and what's wrong with that? See, that's what Donald Trump and these fucks always do. Yeah, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's believing it. Well, not everybody. Not even 50% of this country. Certainly not a majority. We're talking maybe 30%. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're in a group of 30% and you're a conspiracy theorist and you keep pushing out this bullshit, as far as I'm concerned, you're not a part of this country. You don't fucking count. All right, let's talk about uh, Dirty Donnie Diaper Donald fucking Trump. Did you know that while he was in office, he came very close to firing his daughter, Ivanka Trump, and son-in-law, 
Jared Kushner from the White House via tweet, according to a new book from New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman. We talked about her earlier. That's going to probably be a good book. I don't like many books that are coming out, but she's a sharp lady. She works for the New York Times. And and for some reason, Donald Trump always talks to her. He likes her for some reason. Trump raised the prospect of firing Ivanka Trump and Kushner, who were both senior White House aides during meetings with then-Chief of Staff John Kelly and then-White House Counsel Don McGahn. Haberman writes, at one point, he was about to tweet that his daughter and son-in-law were leaving the White House, but he was stopped by Kelly, who told Trump he had to speak to them first, which is not definitely not Donnie's style. Trump never had such a conversation, one of the numerous instances where he avoided interpersonal conflict. And Ivanka Trump and Kushner remained at the White House throughout the Trump's presidency. Still, Trump often diminished Kushner, mocking him as a feat. He sounds like a child, Trump said, after Kushner spoke publicly in 2017, following his congressional testimony, according to the book. You know, that's that, That's the funny thing about Kushner. Now, his family has money, but his father is a felon and spent some time in jail until Donald Trump pardoned him. Uh, Kushner is Jewish. And Kushner, I'm not saying he's gay or he's transgender or anything like that. That's not the case. But he's not the traditional masculine style that Donald Trump likes. He, it's real important for him to be associated with and to be considered a tough guy. When, in fact, Donald Trump is not a fucking tough guy. He's about as weak a guy as you're going to ever find. Now, in the book Confidence Man, The Making of Donald Trump and the Breaking of America, Haberman chronicles the chaos of the Trump White House with new details about how Trump resisted denouncing white supremacists and made light of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's declining health before her death in 2020 gave him a third justice on the Supreme Court. But Haberman's book, which was obtained by CNN ahead of its release on Tuesday, goes beyond the trials and tribulations of the Trump administration to document how Trump's initial rise in the New York real estate and political world of the 1970s and 80s permanently shaped his worldview and, by extension, his presidency. To fully reckon with Donald Trump, his presidency and political future, people need to know where he comes from. Now, this book, well, it's, it's, it's littered with examples dating back decades that document Trump's obsession with his looks, his fixation on racial issues, his gravitation toward strongmen, and his willingness to shift his beliefs to fit the moment. What she's saying there, he'll say one thing one minute, but if something else seems more beneficial to him, he'll fucking flip it 180 degrees. Trump tried to recreate the country to mimic New York's five boroughs, Haberman writes, imagining a presidency that functioned like he was one of the city's powerful Democratic Party bosses in control of everything. The aides and advisors who spoke to Haberman for the book, she writes that she interviewed more than 250 people, offering a damning portrait of a commander-in-chief who was uninterested in learning the details of the job, who expected complete loyalty from those around him, and who was most concerned with dominance and power. See, that's, that's, that's the thing about uh, 
That's the thing about Donald Trump. He he doesn't do anything. He doesn't have any particular skills or talents. He just likes power. Everything he does is part of the show. You know how he's talked about ratings and that sort of shit. He's all about that. But when it comes to sitting down, putting your nose to the grindstone, and actually doing something, yeah, that's not his. That's not his game. That's not how he does things. He is an absolute imbecile and an idiot, and he's lazy as fuck. He expects everybody around him to do things and and do it the way he wants to do it, and then he takes credit for it. Unfortunately, with Donald Trump, everything he does fails, so he looks stupid each and every time. Kelly, his former chief of staff, is said to have described Trump as a fascist uniquely unfit for the job of leading a constitutional democracy, according to Haberman, citing several who spoke to the retired Marine general. Trump spokesman Taylor Butowich said the book, while coastal elites obsess over boring books chock full of anonymously sourced mistruths, America is a nation in decline. President Trump is focused on saving America, and there's nothing fake news can do about it. Earlier this year, Haberman's reporting for her book revealed that Trump's staff found documents flushed down the toilet. On top of numerous reports that Trump had a habit of ripping up presidential papers in violation of the Presidential Records Act. Now, since we're talking about those documents, let's get into that for a bit. The former president's handling of documents has taken on new significance following the FBI's search of his Florida residence and the revelation he took highly classified documents there upon leaving the White House. Haberman interviewed Trump three times after he left. After he left the White House for the book in 2021, including in one instance in which he lied about sending his correspondence with North Korea leader Kim Jong-un to the National Archives, saying he had taken Nothing of great urgency from the White House. The Kim letters were among the items the archives realized were missing in 2021. Trump's cavalier handling of classified material led to distrust between the then president and the intelligence community, Haberman writes, such as when Trump tweeted out sensitive picture of damage at an Iranian facility in 2019. He protested after officials tried to make changes to the image. If you take out the classification, that's the sexy part. He's looking for ratings, Trump said, according to Haberman, who wrote that some knew, saw some nefarious ends in Trump's behavior, while others believed he was operating with emotional development of a 12-year-old using the intelligence data to get attention for himself. Now, um, I know, um, I know that a lot of people think he sold them to other people, and he probably did. If these people, like Vladimir Putin or the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, knew he had them, even if Donald Trump wasn't aware of the value and the danger it put this country in, you know those two did, or any other number of uh, leaders of countries in this world, and uh, they either got copies of it by way of favors or leverage for Donald Trump or actual money. We don't know. We don't know exactly what was in his mindset when he did it, but it doesn't matter. 
the fact is what matters uh, um, what matters about this is that he had possession of it. It was illegal for him to have possession of this, for them to be outside a, uh, uh, a secured area like a skiff or something like that. It almost doesn't matter what's on those documents, the idea that he might have declassified them or the FBI planted them. By Friday, he's got to come up with proof of that, and he's not going to. He's not going to be able to do that. So Donald Trump is fucked in this situation. He is clearly guilty, and he needs to pay some consequences because of it. Now, Representative Adam Kinzinger, he's one of the two Republicans on the House January 6th committee on Sunday, offered a peek into the upcoming and potentially final series of the panel's public hearings. All signs suggest it's going to be a doozy, and I think I told you that already. Every hearing we've seen has gotten better than the last one, and this is going to blow some fucking people out of the water. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't have any inside information. I just understand how this whole process is working, how it's timing out with the midterms. If there's going to be some explosive shit, this is the time it's going to happen. Now, based on Kinzinger's remarks to NBC News Meet the Press, the next wave of hearings set to begin in September, which it won't now, it'll be in October, will focus on what I'm calling the cash and potential cover-up. The cash and the potential cover-up of the insurrection. So what's that mean? That means who funded this thing? And we know that Ginny Thomas was part of that, but there was probably money coming from other areas, the whole cover-up of it. Well, we see the cover-up every day when those sitting members of Congress, those Republicans that were probably involved saying, oh, there's nothing to see here, there's nothing to see here. If they're going to expose a cover-up, they're going to have to expose sitting members of Congress. And that's when things blow all to hell. Specifically, that phrase refers to the donations Donald Trump and members of his inner circle solicited as part of the paradoxically named Stop the Steal campaign leading up to January 6th. It also touches on reports that the Secret Service erased text sent on and around January 6th, allegedly after they were requested by the oversight officials. Top Democrats have accused Department of Homeland Security Inspector General Staff or of appearing to engage in a cover-up to hide the text deletions, which the Secret Service has said were part of a scheduled data migration, which is absolute bullshit. Now, the hearings could address the fact that a vast majority of this money was raised under Stop the Steal with no intention of doing anything to so-called Stop the Steal. Kinzinger said highlighting a fundraiser effort that reportedly netted Team Trump millions of dollars. It was all about just raising money and people who were abused that way, so there will be a lot more of that. Frequent readers of the readout blog know by now that the grift underlying Trump's January 6th plot and the potential of Trump's lies to bankrupt him as civil lawsuits mount is an intense focus of mine, meaning Kinzinger. Adding to the story are recent reports that congressional investigators reportedly traveled to Copenhagen, Denmark, earlier this month to view documentary footage of Trump ally Roger Stone, who was involved in Stop the Steal's grift. 
If Kinzinger's preview is any indicator, we're likely to get more evidence on that front. And, you know, we've seen some... We've seen some of the video from that documentary, and it's pretty damning, to be perfectly honest. And as much as you're going to probably see Jenny Thomas, uh, some video of her being deposed, I can guarantee you we are going to see some video from that documentary. It's not going to be released officially for a few months, but I guarantee you the January 6th committee has some of that video, and we will see it in the next hearing. Illinois, the uh, Illinois Republican Kinzinger also said we could also expect more on the Secret Service scandal because, as he explained, we're still sitting around like, why don't we have some of these text messages? Why was some of this stuff hidden? I think we'll get answers to that by that time. We can present that to the American people, Kinzinger said. That's quite a preview. Season one of the January 6th committee's public hearings were eye-opening and earth-shattering. The next slate of hearings, billed as sort of a series finale, is rearing up to be even more revelatory. We're primed to get answers on two nagging questions in particular. What role did the Secret Service play on and around January 6th? And how did Trump and his minions seek to capitalize literally on the chaos they sowed? Now, as I've told you many times, this January 6th committee can't uh, issue indictments, can't prosecute these people. They just aren't in a position to do that. But what they will likely do, once this is all said and done, they'll expose all the evidence. They'll have a final presentation trying to pull everything together. And uh, they'll let it ride to see what happens for the midterms. Exposing these people is their job. The next step, however, is to decide whether to refer to the DOJ. And it sounds like they've got a lot of stuff that certainly could be referred to the DOJ. So this next hearing is going to be, as they say, a doozy. Uh, You don't want to miss this one. We'll be watching very carefully and very closely um, when they reschedule that date, when they tell us a date when that hearing is going to come. I will tell you this, that hearing, when it does come, is going to be well worth sitting back and watching in its entirety. It's not going to bode well for Donald Trump, Jenny Thomas, Roger Stone, the Republicans in general. They are going to expose a lot of shit, and these people aren't going to have much to say in defense of what they did. What they did was egregious. What they did is dangerous to this country and dangerous to the people of this country. That has to be acknowledged and they have to uh, decide that we don't want this anymore. And the only way we can stop it is by making people accountable. And I suspect that's where we'll end up when this is all said and done. All right, we are going to wrap things up for yet another Rational Boomer podcast. I just want to give you a heads up. Tomorrow's show is going to be interesting if it all works out. Uh, I'm going to do a show with a listener by the name of Kevin. He's been on the show before. He did a great job on the show before. So I suspect that this show is going to be good tomorrow. And then on Friday, I'm going to record another listener show with a gentleman by the name of TJ. 
He seems to have a similar personality and a similar filthy mouth like I have. So that should be a fun show, and that'll show up uh, uh, Sunday morning maybe. I don't know. I'll have to figure that out. But nonetheless, I hope you have a great day. And we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.